When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window. This is the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I mean, regarding joining me as ever is transfer guru, Mr. Duncan Castles, or Dr. Duncan Castles, I should say. Uh, we've got lots and lots to get through today on the pod, lots of news for you. Before we do that, though, I'd just like to mention uh, a big thank you to those who responded so positively to our extended exclusive interview with Luis Campos uh, on the pod earlier this week. Uh, as we always say, we like to interact and engage with you guys, and thank you for doing the same for us. Duncan, we're going to start at Manchester United and an un- probably unexpected twist in the Paul Pogba relationship with the club, for it is our understanding here at TWP that um, United are prepared to offer a- an olive branch to Pogba and his agent, Mino Raiola, who we know has called all sorts of rancor and problems for the club and its administrators over Pogba and his contract situation. Remember, he has 18 months left on his current deal. However, it appears that in Ed Woodward's normal modus operandi, where he likes to tie players down to longer contracts, even even if they're not playing regular in the first team, in order to preserve their value, they're willing to just take a little hit on their pride and uh, make an offer to Miraiola to come in and discuss an extended deal for Pogba rather than risk losing a lot of the equity that they invested in the player when they bought him for a then record Juventus three and a half years ago. Uh, Duncan, are you surprised at this given even just recently Raiola was saying his time at United is over, uh, he will be looking for a new club? Well, Raiola said, if, essentially said, if Ed Woodward thinks he's going to sign a new contract, then he's mistaken. Um, he's decided he wants to leave. He's unhappy. He wants to go elsewhere. So um, let's get this over and done with as quickly as possible, was it? Was the message. Um, you have to look at, at Manchester United's policy in these circumstances, and it's certainly been a standard move for Woodward to refuse to cut his losses on players. Um, he's repeatedly extended contracts of individuals who have had limited playing time at the club with the idea that he would then be able to sell them to another club at profit. Um, we've seen them just recently um, trigger a, a one-year option in Jesse Lingard's contract, which is typical of that approach. Lingard barely been used by uh, Solskjaer this season. They've They've done it time and time again and rearly you have to say has it has it produced the desired result which is that the player is sold on at a profit 
um, that covers the wages and gives them uh, decent transfer fee income. Generally, they end up in situations which they're experiencing at the moment with uh, several players uh, of not being able to find suitors for them and those players hanging on, um, demanding that they, they're paid uh, their full wage or compensated for their full wage before they leave the club. Um, pertinent example, Marcus Rojo, who uh, is currently in Argentina and I am told has, uh, has informed Manchester United that he won't be returning from Argentina. Um, he's closer to joining Boca Juniors. Um, also interest from Estudiantes, who he went on loan to last season and then uh, was hardly able to play for them because of uh, the COVID pandemic and injury. Um, but Rojo as we told you in the podcast um, a couple of weeks ago, has offers from a few areas, but has made it clear to Manchester United that he does not want to give up on any of the last six months of his salary to go there. So in Boca's case, he would be happy to sign for them, but he wants to receive his full payment from Manchester United uh, for the first six months of that deal and then switch. Um, I think with Raiola, you and this idea of an olive branch to him, um, and and trying to tempt him into discussions and and uh, and agreeing a, a a new commission on a new deal with Pogba. I think you have to factor in that Raiola represents Erling Haaland, who is Solskjaer's number one choice to bring in as a striker. Um, who Solskjaer tried to sign before he moved uh, to Dortmund. Um, therefore, reinitiating discussions, fi- finding some kind of um, setup which is beneficial to both parties um, could be strategic on Manchester United's part with the idea that at some point down the line, if they're going to get Haaland to Old Trafford, they need to have um, Raiola on board with them. Whether Pogba is prepared to sign such a contract, different matter altogether. Um, He has certainly performed at a higher level since Raiola made those statements. Um, And I think we've seen this with Pogba before in periods when when he or his agent courts maximum controversy and he gets in the team. We, We have seen periods where he performs as he is capable of performing in given matches as a kind of demonstration, I think, that um, that he's still a good player. Um, it never lasts for a sustained period. And, and obviously, I think you can say that his performance in the League Cup semi-final against Manchester City was not one of his better ones and was one of those games in which his, um, his unwillingness to consistently do the hard work um, was taken advantage of by the opposition and uh, and contributed to that latest um, semi-final defeat for Solskjaer. He does seem, um, his body language is quite languid um, when you see he doesn't track back and he effectively almost just jogs when he loses possession without actually trying to retain the ball. I suppose the two things that may have changed for Pogba, Duncan, are um, one, uh, the financial crisis due to the pandemic means that his uh, options to leave Manchester United um, are at the very best severely limited, if not zero. And also he has been playing much more regularly in the last few weeks than he had before. 
Um, therefore, maybe uh, it's his best option to extend his contract. Uh, you know, obviously financially he will benefit, as you said, Minoraiola will benefit from the commission on the upgrade, and also it could build a bridge which eventually might persuade Erling Haaland to move to Old Trafford. Uh, you mentioned Rojo. There's also um, a situation um, with regards to other centre-halves at Manchester United. Very odd um, sort of, I guess, tactical decision, Duncan, when Eric Bailly played so well um, and then was dropped uh, for Lindelof to come in to play beside Harry Maguire in the uh, Derby game in the semi-final of the League Cup. Um, now you have information regarding buy and a potential new deal for him. Well, the, 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 there has to be a discussion about a new deal for Eric Bailly because his contract um, expires in 2022. So they're getting to the stage where in the summer he'll be down to a year. Um, I, my understanding is that Bailly's camp have asked about a contract extension. Manchester United have said not now. We don't want to lose you. We are not intending to sell you, but um, we're not going to discuss a new contract until um, after the, the January window. Bailly's performances when brought into the team in, in place of injured Lindelof have been at a level at least similar to those when he first came to Manchester United and he looked like he was going to be um, a real high-level performer in, in the Premier League for some time to come. He's been extremely unfortunate with injury during that period um, and moved to the periphery of the squad by Solskjaer for quite substantial periods of his time in charge of the club. And we've seen Luke Shaw fielded as a centre-back ahead of by on a number of occasions, which uh, you can imagine what uh, a specialist centre-back's opinion of being uh, sidelined by a left back who's not a particularly great defender, uh, simply playing on the left of the defence, never mind operating in a position he's unfamiliar with, are. Um, one thing with Eric Bailly is, in my understanding, he's a very popular individual within the squad. And I think you, you saw evidence of that in the way his teammates surrounded him after he made that last minute block against Aston Villa to... Um, preserve Manchester United's winning run in the Premier League and give them three points that have placed them in a position where they can actually go top of the Premier League um, by themselves in their next match. Um, a very unexpected position given the way they, they started the season. Um, therefore, dropping them after the level of performance he'd had and the long wait he had to get back into the team um, will not have gone down well with some of the, the players at United who like Bay, and uh, and I think we'll understand his frustration at, at, um, at that decision. Um, I don't think it helps Solskjaer that the decision proved to be unsuccessful. Uh, it's easier to do something like that, going back to your preferred pair and very much preferred pair of Maguire and Lindelof for a very important game if it delivers success. Um, when you get knocked out and quite comprehensively beaten, I think from a from a tactical perspective, it can hurt players and uh, and lead to questions being raised and um, doesn't make life easier for the manager. 
It was a fourth semi-final defeat for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, he now has the unwelcome uh, statistic against his name that he has lost more semi-finals in domestic football in his time in charge at Old Trafford than Sir Alex Ferguson did in his entire career uh, there. Um, Duncan, it seems it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, United have managed to climb up the league and obviously they uh, do have that opportunity to go top if they win their next match. However, uh, it seems that they, they do bottle it. This team or this team under this manager don't necessarily perform when they've got the chance to clear that hurdle to get themselves to the final. Yeah, I'm not sure it's bottling it is the, is the case here with Manchester United. I think if you look at what Solskjaer said after the game, he said they need to play better against better teams and learn how to defeat better teams. And, and I think actually what you're seeing is a reflection of where Manchester United are as a team in that when they play the better opposition in these big games, semi-finals, where there is this huge motivation on the part of both sides to reach a final and win silverware, um, they're not quite good enough. And that partly, I think, has to come down to the management of the team. You saw in this game that Pep Guardiola came up with a strategy that was more offensive, um, very different from the way he played against United in the league when his, he set up with a, with a very deep line for Manchester City, um, two holding midfielders, and, and we ended up with a very stagnant game, essentially. This time he risked, he, he wanted to pass out past Manchester United, create opportunities knowing that if he scored a goal, then they could use something similar to that defensive strategy in the first game and keep uh, United at bay. Solskjaer did not have an answer for it. It was once again the strategy is used in, against these bigger teams basically throughout his time as Manchester United manager, which is play on the break, depend on pace and creativity to create chances on the counter-attack and, uh, and hopefully get the first goal and win that way. Um, they didn't create those chances. Manchester City created the majority in the game. Um, they got ahead and there was no answer from Solskjaer. I mean, it's for me, it's quite incredible that he had the depth of bench that he has now. And this is a very strong squad now. There are weaknesses in it, but those are self-inflicted weaknesses in defensive areas. But from attacking perspective and from, from a central midfield perspective, it's one of the best squads in Europe now. So he had that depth of the bench and he doesn't make his first substitution until 75 minutes, doesn't make his second substitution until 88 minutes in a match in which he had the option to use five substitutes because the, the League Cup rules are different from the Premier League rules and actually change during the competition, which is um, one of the bizarre elements of the League Cup. Um, I, Manchester City being better than Manchester United shouldn't really surprise us. Manchester City have had a very bad start to the season, but because the pace of this Premier League is miles below what it's been for the last three seasons where Liverpool and Manchester City have been running away um, early on. So they are now back in with an opportunity if they win their games in hands of being just behind Liverpool and Manchester United at the top of this season. Um, 
they look a better, more rounded football side again now that they've got a defence, uh, defensive partnership that works with Ruben Gias and John Stones, who's um, focused on the game again. I think you saw him talking after the match about the, the things he'd done off field to improve as a player. Um, and it's no surprise that in a one-off game where you pit those two coaches against each other and those two teams as they've been playing, um, that Manchester City will come through because they fundamentally are a better side and Manchester United's position in the league, I think, is deceptive. We've, we've said before that they're probably four, perhaps even six points better off than they should be. And the fact that they are in with a chance of going top is more to do with the, the number of points the leaders have dropped this season, the, the, the change in standard required to be top of the league than it is about the improvement in Manchester United compared to the last year. They are better than last year, which they should be, because they now have Bruno Fernandes um, in the squad, who's the best player, clearly their best player, and made a substantial difference to the performance. They've added Alex Tellez as a backup left back and I think got better performances from Luke Shaw um, as a result of that. And they've added someone like Edinson Cavani um, in attack who gives them yet another attacking option, a different way of playing to their, their forwards. So they should have improved. They have improved. But the idea that they've improved to the, the level that Manchester City and Liverpool have been hitting over the past three seasons I think is just wrong. And I think that's what you see in these games. Manchester City, semi-final of the League Cup, um, a clear win for City. Leipzig, where Solskjaer only needed a draw to get through to the next round of the Champions League, said he wouldn't defend, goes out with five, a back five and two holding midfielders in front of them and um, is pretty comprehensively beaten by Leipzig in that match as well. I think that that's the true reflection of where they are at the moment is they're not quite as good as this um, run of positive results uh, has indicated they may be. It's interesting, Duncan. Um, I remember a conversation I had uh, three or four years ago with uh, Fabio Capello, who obviously was a serial winner um, as a coach. And I asked him, what is the main ingredient? What is the secret of uh, success as a football manager? And he said, well, you can have the best squad, the best team, the best players, but if you don't have the knowledge to give the players that extra 5%, which makes them champions, then it's going to be very difficult for you. And breaking that uh, duck is probably the hardest part of your career. And obviously Solskjaer has yet to win uh, a trophy in English football. And so perhaps uh, he's not quite got that 5% just yet. And as you said, the squad is stronger and, and much more deep, but it's whether or not he can provide the players with the confidence, tactical nous, uh, as well as uh, the mentality to get them over the line, which may be the thing which uh, is the missing link, if you like. He's got, um, look, he's got better players. Um, he has, you know, Ed Woodward on record is saying that they've spent more in the last three transfer windows than any other club in Europe in his uh, accounting net on transfer fees. So there's been a lot of investment in a period in which um, certainly for the last nine months, there's been limited cash in football. 
you have that, you know, the pandemic situation which changes uh, the nature of the game. But the guy making the decisions on how the training is is done, um, what teams are selected, whether to put keep Eric Bailly in the side or go back to Lindelof for a, a final like that, what tactics to use, how to make in-game changes is Solskjaer. We've seen them go out of the Champions League because of two very bad decisions that Solskjaer made. They were in position to qualify. He kept Fred on the field against Paris Saint-Germain when he should already have had a red card and ended up getting a red card for a, a later tackle. Um, he went into that final game, chose the wrong system and uh, and went out of the, the Champions League off the back of his own decision-making. So you, you see... There is a flaw there, which shouldn't be surprising when you look at his career. He's, he's, I hear him. I still see him described as a young manager. He's been managing for over ten years. The semi-final losses. It's not just the four semi-final losses with Manchester United. He lost two more semi-finals when he was in charge of Malta and Norway. In fact, he's only won one semi-final in, a, in his entire managerial career, and, and that one was on penalties. Um, I was talking to someone who knows Manchester United well this week in the aftermath of that game. And he said, look, Solskjaer's in kind of in a fortunate position at the moment that the players are extremely motivated to succeed because they've got themselves in a position where they think they have a chance of winning the Premier League. Kind of with a, with a, an element of fortune of the, the things I've I've just described. But the players want to win and that extra motivation on the player's side is kind of making up for the doubts that a significant chunk of the squad have about Solskjaer's training and methods and decision making, things we've talked about in the podcast many times before. Um, So the quality of the squad and the position they've got themselves in is helping but as as you as Fabio Capello says ultimately the manager adds that at least final five percent his decisions are relevant and the players can't overcome everything if he's making bad decisions and tactics team selection um, substitutions he's handicapping the squad and when is that most likely to to be noticed? When you play against better opposition, which is what happens when you get to semi-finals. Another interesting example of that, uh, Duncan, uh, is the Chelsea team after they sacked Mourinho in 2007 and replaced him with Avram Grant. Effectively, John Terry and Frank Lampard picked a team and made tactics and they got to the European Cup final. Uh, and of course, they lost on penalties to Manchester United uh, because they didn't have that man in charge who could give them the extra 5%. So uh, it certainly does seem that Capello's uh, got got something there with regard to his point of view. Yeah, I, I remember that period very well, Avram Grant being lauded as as the, the hero because he'd got them to the, the final inside his first season at the club. If, as we both knew, what was going on behind the scenes at Chelsea at that time, Avram Grant took the first training session um, the players effectively laughed at what he was doing and he handed over training to Steve Clark uh, for the rest of the season. And Steve Clark obviously was the had been part of Mourinho's managerial staff, very competent coach. So he went back to the, the, the training methodology and regimes that Mourinho uh, and Rui Faria had been using. 
uh, carried on applying them. The players, as you say, buckled down and saw the opportunity to to win a European Cup, and they got them all the way to the final um, off the back of essentially of of the players' qualities and uh, and, a, and a methodology that had been inherited from Mourinho. Um, yet this is the the way football works. If you're the the manager, if you have the manager's title at the time, you get the plaudits, even if you're not actually the the key contributor. Um, to success. Well, strikers are normally, Duncan, as we know, the uh, the gold currency uh, in the January window because everyone wants goals, uh, but very difficult to come by. But actually, centre-backs uh, are almost just as highly desired as centre-forwards. Uh, you were the first person to reveal uh, interest in Sven Botman from several Premier League clubs and uh, obviously uh, Luis Campos who recruited him for Lille um, gave us a a very nice insight into Botman uh, in Tuesday's podcast. Uh, You've since uh, heard information that you believe perhaps Botman will see out the season in France. Well, I mean, Luis Campos said on our podcast that he thought it would be harder than we expected for Lille to sell them because they're in a position where they they, they have a, a chance to take the French title off PSG this season. They did lose in midweek, so that the, there's still uh, a little bit of a gap to the top for them, but that's one factor. Um, the other factor obviously will be Botman's decision himself. And um, I'm hearing that there have been calls from an array of, of English clubs in addition uh, to Liverpool that we we told you about in the previous podcast, um, but no one as yet has come up with the scale of financial offer required to make that deal happen. And the consideration from Botman's side is one which I think is relevant to any January move is, is having just joined Leo, having moved from Ajax, having done so well in the first half of the season for Leo, is it too dangerous to move? In, in January. Um, January moves are problematic. You don't have any adaptation time. Uh, if you were to go to a club like Liverpool, for example, and go straight in as the, the defensive solution because Van Dijk and Gomez are injured, um, allowing Fabinho to come out of, of the defence uh, and Liverpool to move back to something similar to the system they'd been using previously, and it doesn't work, um, are you risking uh, your the ability to succeed in that new league. Add to that, you'd be doing it in the middle of a pandemic. So any worries you have about the the, the January move to start with are going to be aggravated um, by having to to change countries while the nation you're moving to is in effective lockdown. So I think there's a there's a consideration there on Botman's side that it might be better to wait till the summer. Um, and also, I think an expectation that there, there could be more money around in the summer and more clubs prepared to bid for them. I can tell you that in addition to the interest from Liverpool, that um, that Jose Mourinho likes Botman as a player. We've told you previously that Mourinho has targeted two positions in his side for improvement and is asking um, the club to to fund purchases in those areas. One is a box-to-box midfielder, which he's prioritising, and the other is a left-sided, quick um, centre-back, left-footed centre-back, which is what um, Botman is. Um, whether he will get 
money to do those deals in January, um, I think is highly questionable. We saw Mourinho talk about um, transfers recently. Uh, and I think if you read behind the lines, you can see a bit of the difficulties um, there are in extracting cash from Levy. Um, he said he, he wasn't expecting something to happen in January and then said, one thing is to analyze, which of course I do. One thing is to analyze and commit to that analysis and to write a report and be committed to that report, which of course I did as I have to be professional. Another thing is to demand something which I never do. Another thing is to ask for, and I'm not going to ask for anything because I respect the effort the club makes. Where, you know, I think read between the lines there, you can see that Mourinho's made his recommendations and at present he doesn't expect to be backed um, by the club to buy those new players. Well, what we do know, uh, Duncan, is historically Daniel Leverage likes to uh, basically wield his leverage on the last day of the transfer window in January, as he's done so many times, whether it's buying or selling. One player who looks like he's definitely on the move is the former Tottenham midfielder Christian Eriksen, whose uh, move to Inter Milan has turned out to be a bit of a nightmare for the Danish international. Um, we understand that his representatives have been talking to both Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid. Uh, however, both clubs have made it clear that in the current financial climate, they would prefer a loan for the rest of the season with a potential option to buy in the summer. Uh, Duncan, no real surprise there. We've known about Ericsson. We've spoke about it in a podcast m months ago that he'd be, he'd be leaving Inter. Um, I think over the Pochettino factor is going to probably be the one that swings it. Well, he had a very good relationship with Pochettino. It was very important to what he, he did there. Um, I think the question is what kind of commitment uh, Paris Saint-Germain are prepared to make to a deal in, in this window. Um, I am being told that they have um, issues with financial fair play at present and um, they're going to have to be creative to make things happen. A loan, a cheap loan with, a, with an option to buy in the summer um, is something that would appeal to them because you can delay the, the cost of the deal until the summer. Um, uh, the other factor here, of course, is Lionel Messi. So the, their interest in Messi is substantial. Um, they're presenting Paris as an alternative for him and his family to move to uh, instead of Manchester City. And obviously, if that happens, a huge amount of cash is going to be required um, to fund that deal, um, probably. Uh, a lot of the money, if not all of it, at least in the, the initial period, would come from selling Kylian Mbappé. As we've told you, Mbappé has um, signalled to Paris Saint-Germain that, that he doesn't intend to renew his contract um, and that will be down to its final year in the summer. So he's essentially presented them with the option to sell next summer and make money from his transfer fee or lose him for nothing in, in a further year's time. So. There you have the big resource or potential big resource, not something that PSG want to do, but they might be forced into doing and then redirecting it if they can into Messi. If you're wondering, and I'm sure some of you are, where Demari Gray has disappeared into the ether uh, from Leicester City in uh, recent weeks and indeed this season, uh, then you're in luck because Duncan Castles has the answer. Yeah, so we've heard um, Brendan Rogers talk about Damari Gray recently and say that um, 
that he likes him as a player and he's been well disciplined around the training ground and that they would like to retain him at Leicester, but the, the player um, doesn't want to stay. Um, I can tell you there have been attempts to extend Gray's contract by Leicester City and my understanding is that Gray has decided that he won't accept those, um, which leaves Leicester with the option of trying to sell in this window as we, we discussed last month on the podcast to get um, the last bit of potential equity out of that deal. Gray is now free to talk to um, clubs around the continent. Um, they have started doing that. There is significant interest um, around Europe. One of the clubs who would like to take him, I'm told, are Benfica. Um, and they have held discussions, but Benfica believe that um, Gray's preference would be to go elsewhere and most likely to stay at an English club. Um, obviously, he has the advantage of not just being a talented, um, quick forward uh, at a good age. He's English, um, therefore, yeah, I can be used as part of the homegrown quota for a Premier League club, which is very important um, to a number of clubs these days who quite often operate on the limit. Um, Southampton are one club that have uh, expressed an interest in signing the player. And I'm told that is something that, that Gray would seriously consider because of you know Southampton's qualities as a club, but also the potential to play regularly re-establish himself as a as a first team Premier League footballer and uh and and make a case for uh for being part of the England international team. Um the issues with Rogers, although Rogers says um he has no issues with the player, what I'm hearing from the player side is different. And that in fact Rogers barely speaks to Gray at the training ground at present. Um, and there's been a, a significant standoff um, between the two for some time now. And that is a factor in Gray's decision over not um, accepting a new contract at Leicester and looking for somewhere else to play where he feels he'll have greater opportunity um, and get a fairer crack of the whip. I suppose when you've got Harvey Barnes and the form is in, Duncan, it's going to be difficult for Gray anyway. Uh, Leicester are quite sort of well stocked in terms of wide players. Um, even though uh, I had a conversation as recently as last summer um, with Brendan Rodgers, uh, where he was praising Gray very highly, um, but it's not an a unusual situation that when a player isn't prepared to sign a new contract, that the manager ignores that player um, because basically sending a message out to other members of his squad that this is how you get treated if you're not going to commit yourself to this club. So I think there's going to be, you know, that attitude on both sides, obviously, from what you've heard from the players' side as well. Another interesting uh, development uh, in terms of uh, this market and indeed uh, looking forward to the summer is Celtic striker Odson Edouard, who was the top scorer in the Scottish Premiership last season. His form has suffered a little bit this season, but he has been injured. But he has changed his agent, Duncan. Um, and very interestingly, he's decided to hire the Stellar Group, who, of course, uh, are run and owned by Jonathan Barnett, who's also agent to uh, the likes of Gareth Bale. Um, now, what's kind of coincidental about this is it was a senior 
executive agent at Stellar who brokered Kieran Tierney's deal to join Arsenal from Celtic. And uh, you have to wonder if Edward has been to the situation with Tierney and thought, okay, well, Kieran got his move. And obviously, Stellar are very well connected, especially with the London clubs, uh, Tottenham, Arsenal and Chelsea. Uh, if he's, he's certainly eyeing a move to the Premier League, that's for sure. But in hiring Stellar, perhaps, London is a preferred destination. I think if you hire Stellar as agents, um, you have a better opportunity moving to a Premier League club. They're one of the big established agencies in, in English football. They have good connections um, with the majority of clubs in the league. They they know how to get deals done. Um, yeah, it would certainly indicate that, uh, that the Premier League is a is a stronger option for Edward, and and you know that's not an uncommon transition path to to play at Celtic. Um, to play well at Celtic and then have your next step being a, a transfer to uh, Premier League football. Yes, one remembers a certain Virgil van Dijk uh, leaving Celtic for Southampton before, of course, becoming the most expensive defender in world football. Rather surprising, well, maybe not surprising, Duncan, but this fee was certainly surprising. Move on Friday of this week was West Ham striker Sebastian Aller joining Ajax for 22.5 million euros. Now, I say surprising for two reasons. One, um, West Ham, when they signed Aller from Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, said that he cost 45 million pounds, i.e. about 50 million euros at that point. And as we know, um, West Ham are not really in the habit of selling players at half the price they bought them for, even if the player hasn't lived up to their expectations and performed uh, to that price tag. Uh, it just reminded me that uh, a conversation that I had uh, that Eintracht denied that they'd been paid £45 million for Aller at the time and indeed their sport director uh, chuckled to himself when it was suggested that that was the price that they had received from West Ham at the time. Uh, and it's believed that perhaps the price was much nearer to the 22.5 million euros that West Ham have now received from Ajax. So Aller out uh, and they're now looking for a striker. It is the case they're interested in Edward from Celtic, but Edward is not interested in West Ham. Uh, and therefore, uh, yeah, it's going to be... Um, a bit of a race against time for David Moyes, I think, to fill that space, given that Mikel Antonio, who has suffered a lot of injuries in the past few months, is now their only recognised experienced centre forward. So a U-turn from West Ham United on their most expensive player, allegedly. And uh, brings us to, of course, the favourite time of the week for many of you, which is the Donkey Award. And I'm very pleased to say that we've recruited one of the most famous names in the world uh, to great uh, and oh, well, basically name the award for us. Uh, well, maybe we've named it for him. Uh, you take uh, your pick on that one. So Donald J. Trump uh, this week, uh, obviously, uh, or within. 25 hours went from describing the uh, violent mob who stormed Washington's Capitol Hill as great patriots and we love you to then uh, decrying them as heinous criminals uh, who would be brought to justice. So this is going to be the Donald donkey, excuse the alliteration, and for the biggest U-turn uh, in football. Let me just open the envelope, Duncan. Donald Donkey almost sounds like Johnny McFarland, doesn't it? Old Kaiser Duck. 
There we go. Okay. Three nominations we have here. The first is the great Sir Alex Ferguson for his U-turn twice when he decided that he was going to retire in the 0102 season, then changed his mind, then again was going to retire in the 11-12 season, uh, only to see Manchester City win that first league title, of course, with the famous Aguero goal. Uh, went home to his wife, Cathy, and said, I'm sorry, Hen, uh, I can't let things go when, when it's that mob who've won the title. Uh, that was my best impersonation, by the way. There is, um, of course, one of the also most famous names in football, Leo Messi, and the infamous Bureaufax requesting a transfer from Barcelona just some months ago in close season, which he then went back on and U-turned and stayed at the club. And third, and possibly my favourite, you, some of you will remember, and if you, don't, if you don't, please, you can probably find it on YouTube, Peter Odomwingi, uh, who drove from Birmingham, where he was there, a player at West Bromwich Albion, to QPR on the promise that he was be signing for QPR, arriving there around half past 10 on deadline day. Uh, he was spotted by television cameras parking his car. Uh, he then received a phone call telling him that he'd been, not been given permission by West Brom to speak to QPR nor to have a medical. And so he was then filmed doing a U-turn and <laughs> driving back to Birmingham. So not as famous as Messi and Fergie, but Odenwingi, well, he must be with a shout, Duncan. <laughs> well, well, Ferguson, I'm, I, I think you've got to um, you've got to applaud him for his second U-turn, in particular with that that refusal to allow Manchester City to have the last laugh um, and end his career at that point, and then to come back and immediately uh, win the title back and and then retire. So we'll, we'll exclude Ferguson from this. Lionel Messi, there's a few. Um, People being on the end of a of a messy U-turn when it comes to uh, decisions or or promises or discussions about leaving Barcelona for massive contract elsewhere, um, and maybe 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 it'll just happen again this summer um, if the presidential elections go a particular way. Perhaps if Jean Laporte, who's favourite at the moment, wins and he finds a way of persuading Messi um, to stay. Um, I think we know that his heart is in Barcelona and that his family would prefer to to be there. So maybe we, we can see another Messi U-turn to add to that collection this summer. But yeah, you like Odin Wingy, I'm going to give it to Odin Wingy. Um, and I, I believe that the skid marks from the U-turn are still present at the Queen's Park <laughs> Rangers car park, aren't they? <laughs> I think they're probably a bit of plaque down, haven't they? A little <laughs> Hollywood star. <laughs> Peter Otenwingi was here, brackets, briefly. <laughs> Not very long. <laughs> Fantastic. That's it for today's pod. If you've liked what you've heard, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. You can subscribe to the Transfer Window podcast on YouTube. Turn on all your notifications and you'll know exactly when the next pod has been published and you can be first to hear it. Please join the discussion. Uh, you have done this week in really big numbers and we've really enjoyed it as well. Uh, you can get us on our social media platforms uh, transfer at transfer podcast on facebook instagram and twitter individually duncan's is at duncan castles and i'm at garbo sj we'll be back with you next week until then stay safe be well and thanks for listening